Hey, hey, I'm Teresa Matsura, and you're listening to Uncanny Japan. Where shall we go today? How about closing your eyes and imagining being lost in a forest? In Japan, of course. You think you know the way home, but you end up wandering farther into unknown territory. You're starting to get scared for real when you come across an impressive black gate. Well, that's interesting. Why not investigate? What could possibly go wrong? You push open the heavy wooden doors to find a lavish garden with beautiful red and white flowers blooming everywhere. And chickens. There are chickens balk, balk, balking and darting around your feet. Isn't it quaint? Oh, and what's that? Why, yes, it's a cow and a horse. But, hmm, there's no people. Maybe they're in that big old mansion over there. So again, you make the decision to go over and push open those closed doors. Come in, Kurosai. You call out, letting the owners of the house know that you're there. No answer. You step inside. Wow, this is like a super rich person's house. You tiptoe around from room to gorgeous room until you end up in a dining area. The table is set with red and black plates and bowls and cups. And among it all, a single bowl of steaming rice, almost as if someone was waiting for someone. With that thought in your mind, you move cautiously on to the next room, where you find a charcoal fire in the Iori hearth and an iron kettle boiling furiously above it. Still no sight of anyone or anything you suddenly realize that perhaps whoever lives here isn't a kind soul at all. Could this be the fancy abode of a bloodthirsty mountain man or Yamamba witch? And that's all you need to turn on your heel and run. Past the elaborate decor and expensive trimmings, you flee the house. Miraculously, you find your way home. What you, my dear friend, have just stumbled across was a mayoiga. Mayo means to get lost, and ga means house. In the English version of Kunio Yanagita's book, The Legends of Tono, it's translated as a house found when one loses their way. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today, because there's more to the story than that. Would you like to explore the stranger, more obscure corners of Japanese culture? Dig a little deeper into superstitions, curious customs, and all those mysterious creatures that inhabit the land? If so, then this is the podcast for you. Uncanny Japan is where I, author Teresa Matsura, share all the fascinating tidbits I unearth while doing research for my writing. From the bizarre to the ghastly, and everything in between. 
I hope you enjoy the show. First, I want to thank everyone who asks for episodes on certain topics, suggests things, or even brings up a subject that I previously didn't know about, but totally arouses my curiosity enough to research it and then do a show on it. Today's episode goes out to my wonderful, wicked smart, and super lovely patron, and dare I say internet buddy, Priya. Thank you. I've got some other suggestions and ideas from patrons and listeners that are all in various stages of research and writing. I haven't forgotten you, although please feel free to nudge me if you'd like. And for a second bit of news, we're back from Kyoto. And boy, did I not get to do even a fourth of what I wanted to do. As I was beating myself up for not seeing and doing more, a super nice and very deep-knowledged patron pointed out to me that there is a one-one-one rule when touring Kyoto. That is, you visit one temple, one shrine, and one art, folk, or history museum a day, which makes so much sense. You don't get burned out, and you get to sufficiently see what you want to see. Although at that rate, he pointed out that it would take three years for you to see everything. I think I'd also like to unofficially venture to make that a one-one-one-one rule, adding one really delicious restaurant, cafe, or outdoor food stall to the list. So the trip was a blast, and thank you all so much for all your suggestions and ideas. Let me try to give you a micro, stream-of-conscious, somewhat free-form spoken-word account of our three days in Nara and Kyoto. After four hours driving to a temple in the mountains of Nara, we're getting close. GPS says, take narrower and narrower, windy roads. I say, no. GPS says, yes. Gut says, no, no, no. And GPS says, yes, 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 you're almost there, really. Roads too narrow, can't turn back. And then, dead end. Now we're surrounded on all sides by forests and sheer cliffs and wilderness. You have arrived at your destination. Richard says, Hey, I see a temple over there beyond that ravine. We can evil Knievel our way down. I laugh. I don't cry. I make a hair-raising 26-point turn, and we're back on the road. At the temple, we're greeted by friendly monks with matcha and a little manju cake. They take our temperature. There's more green tea. Welcome. There's a big room, shared toilets, shared baths, shared sinks, pillows stuffed with gravel. I mean buckwheat. Buckwheat pillow aside, there's only three of us staying in the entire place, and I have zero complaints. It's a gorgeous experience. Dinner is kaiseki ryori, very fancy, also delicious, and there is more tea. A monk tells me that we're free to roam the mountain trails between and around the temples and shrines after dark. Tells me it's mysterious with a wink. Just remember, be back by ten. Sure, but I don't ask why. But wait, what happens after ten? 
Richard and I grab our cameras and meander for hours along lantern-lined paths, from small temple to shrine, to moss-covered ojizo, to tiger statue, to golden kanon, to fierce bishamom with a scowl and a spear. This place has got it all, only there's no people. We don't run across another soul. Hey, wanna go to the top of the mountain? Sure, why not? Up, up, up we go. Legs are starting to rebel. 15 minutes, 20, keep going up. There are dozens upon dozens of vermilion torty gates, mostly splintered and leaning and old, cobwebbed. Occasionally, they're dimly lit, but mostly it's dark and spooky. 30 minutes, 40, up, up, up. Fewer and fewer lights, out of breath, an hour, legs are screaming, wind picks up. I notice what's weird about it all. There isn't a single sound from the forest all around us. No night bugs, nothing. I ask why. Richard says it's too cold. I say ghosts. Up, up, up. We're almost there. By the way, what time is it? Nine. Hmm. More tiny shrines. So many leaning Tory gates. Legs have turned into some kind of rubber. But then we make it, and all the spooky creepiness disappears. At the tippy top of the mountain, all around us are breathtaking views of the city below and a handful of little shrines dedicated to various gods and goddesses. And dragons. Yes, dragons. We make it back by 10. Phew. That night, can't sleep. Leg cramps, yes. Too much tea, definitely. Pillow cutting off circulation to my head. That too. Also, I'm just excited to be out of the house. But we gotta wake up by five for a special purification ceremony. Three hours sleep? Sure, why not? I'm running on pure adrenaline and green tea now. Purification ritual wasn't exactly what I remembered. The small temple decked out in shiny gold, candlelight, bottles of sake, bags of rice. Monk comes in sniffling. Corona? He doesn't chant out loud, which is a bummer. But all the hand mudras and fire and tossing all manner of magical leaf, wood, powder, and oil onto that fire until it's roaring, it's all pretty cool. 6 a.m., walking the trails again. No one is out but quiet monks shuffling to one prayer ceremony or another, birds giddily chirping. It sounded exactly like this. which point Richard innocently takes out his phone and opens it. Some rando app decides it wants to entice him to buy it with a series of boing-boing sounds that echo off the peaceful mountains. I almost pee my pants as he desperately tries to silence the app. And the birds are like, what the f***? Noon. Off to Kyoto. Small Koshin Temple, Episode 3. Remember the three worms that live inside your body? It 
decorated in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of brightly colored wishes. Saru Bobo. Episode 4. Remember the monkey-shaped charms? Kiyomi's Dera looks nothing like what I remember. That's strange. Too many people for my blood, so let's take the long drive to Hashihime's shrine. Remember episode 52? The poor woman who begged to be turned into a demon so she can exact revenge on her two-timey no-good husband? Yeah, her. It's a small shrine, though, and a little sad. Literally, someone's backyard. Exhausted. Sleep. Real sleep this time. Good morning. We're off to Fushimi Inari Taisha. So many tori gates. They're nice and shiny this time. Not so beat up. There are foxes. So many foxes. So many people. Lots of women in kimono. Just kind of nice. Beautiful sky. Hey, what's that lady grilling over there? Is it sparrow or quail? Quail. The whole bird. I'll take one. Eat the entire thing, she said. Head and beak and bones and all. I take the tiniest of bites. Hmm. Tough. Richard eats it all. What a trooper. All day long, he asks for a toothpick. I got a bone in my teeth, he says. Don't make me hurl. I say. Lovely kitsune, but let's go see the tanuki. I drive to Tanuki Dani, an out-of-the-way temple occupied by hundreds and hundreds of tanuki statues, but also 250 steps to climb. Miyamoto Musashi did some training here. He was inspired, and he won another battle. There's a toilet god, too. Also, in the temple proper, in the back, stands a giant Fudomyo statue with electric eyes. So freaking cool. I mean, I get goosebumps. But Richard drags me away from the temple, and we go back down. Time to head home. Meet a little old lady at the bottom. She says she's been making the trip for 52 years. Asks me if I went into the temple, and yes, I say. Did you see his eyes? She asks. Yes, I say. And then the long drive home. Well, that's the gist of it anyway. Oh, and through the time travel sorcery that editing can do... I was just reminded by Richard to mention to all patrons and anyone considering becoming one that all levels, $3 a month and up, had access to the behind-the-scenes channel over on Discord, where we pretty much live-updated the entire trip in real time with photos and observations and really interesting conversation. Irony working as it's wont to do, I'm actually a pretty private person content to noodling away in the corner over here. But I so enjoyed being able to share the Kyoto Nara trip, chat with patrons about their experiences, and basically all of us just getting to know each other better. Also, Richard is a wicked good photographer, so he posted bunches of photos and a few videos with his witty, sometimes hilarious commentary. He just called this our test run. 
and I agree. We'll definitely do more mini travel plus live updates, conversations, photos, and more on the patron benefit part of Discord. You know, I just found a list of seven temples in Nara, each one dedicated to one of the seven lucky gods, so I foresee that being a trip early next year. Okay, now let's get on to the show. In Japanese folklore, a mayoiga refers to a lavish or well-kept but abandoned house found in remote parts of the mountains or similar wilderness. That's it. That's the end of the explanation. But that's far from all of it. So let's go into a little more detail. These mayoiga are thought to be mysterious mansions that can, under the right circumstances, bring wealth to their visitors. It's also said that these lavish dwellings are presented to you and you are allowed to take one item from them. A cup, a trinket, painting, or even a cow. And that thing you take will give you fortune and luck for the rest of your days. The first thing I do when reading about a topic for the show is I see if there are any local legends or places near me where I can go and get some hands-on research and photos. But with the Mayoiga, I couldn't find anything, which I soon learned made sense because these curious houses usually make their appearance in the Tohoku or Kanto region of Japan, so northeastern and the greater Tokyo area and I'm more south than that. Probably the most well-known tales of Mayoiga were written in Yanagita Kunio's Tono Monogatari, The Legends of Tono. Specifically, story number 63 and 64. That imagining I did at the beginning, that's basically an English version of the beginning of his retelling of tale number 63. But there's more to that legend, too. So here's the rest. You, remember you're our protagonist here, return home and tell everyone who will listen about your experience. But no one believes you. So, ho-hum, it's not like you have any proof. You had no idea you were allowed to take anything from the house, and you didn't because you're a very honest and good person. So it's back to life as usual. A few days later, however, you're out washing some things in the river when a super snazzy red lacquered bowl comes floating down right to you. Well, that's something you don't see every day. Especially when after you pluck it from the water, you realize it's the same one you saw on the table back in your imagined house in the woods. You take it home and you're a little reticent to use it at the dinner table. I mean, where has this thing been, right? So you decide it would make a great rice scoop. You needed a new rice scoop anyway. But something odd happens. No matter how much rice you take from the container, the rice doesn't decrease. This goes on for days and weeks and months. Finally, everyone in your family is like, shouldn't we be buying some more rice? We've been eating an awful lot lately. And you spill confessing about how a while ago you snagged the bowl out of the river as it floated towards you, and now all this magic is happening. 
Now they believe your story about that phantom mansion. And you know what comes next? You all live happily ever after with all the wealth and rice and good luck you could possibly want. The end. So maybe you've heard about my yoiga in popular Japanese culture, manga or anime or even games, because they're kind of all over the place. Now, I'm not sure what's been translated into English or not, but I'm going to mention one. There's an anime called The Lost Village, my yoiga in Japanese, of course. The premise for the show is that there's a busload of colorful characters all on their way to a place called Nanaki Village, a place where an urban legend says you can start over and live a perfect life. As you can guess, it isn't quite as easy as that. I haven't seen it or read it, but it looks pretty interesting. All that said, I must warn you against coming to Japan and wandering around in the woods to try to find a Mayoiga. It's one of those things that finds you, you don't find it. Also, wild boars, bears, and mountain witches. You definitely do not want to be lost in the woods in Japan. Another aside is if you're leading a good life, you're not greedy, you're kind to strangers and animals, and you donate to charities, all that, then the Mayoiga might find you and bestow some good fortune. But be warned. There is also a story of a man who found the place, just as described above, freaked out, ran away, told his family and friends, and they said, hang on, wait a minute, why didn't you grab something from the house, you idiot? So, with him in the lead, they all trekked back to the mysterious mansion. And what do you think they found? You're right, nothing. It had disappeared. Okay, that's all for today. I know you are all good-hearted folk, so if you're ever in the Tohoku or Kanto area of Japan, and you happen to stumble across your own mayoiga, remember to humbly remove a cup or a bowl or even a chicken, bow your head and thank the house and whatever god or gods presented it to you. And if the legend holds true, you'll live the rest of your life ripe with fortune. But again, don't go looking for one because if it's instead a mountain witch's house, there is no way on earth you'll be able to run fast enough. So be careful. Thank you so much for listening. Everyone stay healthy and well, and I will talk to you in two weeks. Bye-bye. You've reached the end of the show, and I just want you to know how much we appreciate you listening and supporting us. Any subscribing, reviewing, and gushing to your friends, family, even random strangers, really does help keep us going. If you have the means and you want to help a little more and get a little more, we are making extra content over on Patreon, all for only $5 a month. Or, if you like to read horror, you might be interested in my Bram Stoker-nominated short story collection, The Carp-Faced Boy and Other Tales. Hontoni arigato gozaimasu. Thank you again, and I'll talk to you real soon.